Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, hey, welcome to Padres Social Hour Wednesday evening. Hope everybody's doing okay, healthy, and as sane as can be. we got a fun show for you today. Bob Scanlon and Annie Heilbrenner there. we got a lot of birthdays to celebrate as well. So happy birthday to anybody out there. And uh, thanks to everybody for joining us. Remember, this is an interactive conversation over the course of the next hour-ish. And uh, so fire away on your uh, social platform of choice. We'll also talk a little beer today with the CEO of Ballast Point Brewery here in San Diego. Uh, Ballast Point and the Padres working together to do great things in this community uh, with Feeding San Diego, with that wonderful organization. We'll hear more about that in a little bit with Brendan Waters, the new CEO of Ballast Point. Mention Bob and Annie, bring them in. I'm excited because every week lately uh, when we've had Bob on, he's wearing some cool piece of gear. Last week it was the KT Wiz hat. This uh, oh, red, white, and blue, very patriotic scans. It is patriotic, but uh, it's actually not just the American yeah. flag. I've, I've got my Montreal Expos jacket going. And, you know, it's funny because last week we were talking about the most prolific scoring game in Padres history, which was against the Expos, a team that I was a member of that day. And the fact that I pitched in that ball game, it kind of made me wondering, oh, do I have any of that gear? So I couldn't find any of my uniform tops, but I did find this game jacket of mine. And, and guys, I have to admit, I think I forgot to wash it before I packed it 20 years ago because it's, <laughs> it's only a little ripe in this room right now. <laughs> so we're wearing it in celebration and we have birthdays, right? So we'll talk about the birthday of the Expos in a little bit. Yeah, they share a birthday with the Padres near and dear to us. And he just looks normal and nice, like no big deal. Like she's just here with us. No, no smelly Expos jacket or anything. No smelly Expos jacket, although I am a bit jealous of all Scan's retro cool gear and the fact that he has, like, history to show for it. Like, he actually has, like, memories from this gear, you know, which is so cool. But also, did you take note of his little slide back like that, you know? Like, he comes ready to play. Everything is so smooth. It was rehearsed. He was ready. Yeah. <laughs> Annie, talk about smooth. You're always bringing it. You always got the great stories and the insights and everything in San Diego. So I, I've got to make do with these props you got the actual goods with all your history and stories and insights on everything so always great always great to talk baseball with you uh, and all you guys Teddy, well. he likes to say hey if you don't have the uh if you don't have the steak sell the sizzle man. that's <laughs> <laughs> that's true right there right and okay. i see plenty of uh, plenty of steak though plenty of substance uh, with you guys two of my favorite people to talk ball with 
Um, you know, it's funny, guys, because for the last couple of weeks, obviously, we've tried to start each show with uh, an update on what's going on with the 2020 season. Today was sort of a, a quiet day, which was a fine respite as far as I was concerned. Uh, yesterday was a big day in terms of uh, the players receiving a formal proposal from the league in terms of the finances for what could be a 2020 season. We talked about it yesterday. They weren't thrilled with it. Um, obviously want to get both of your takes on, on everything that's going on right now. Bob, though, the, the thing that I threw out there was like, all right, I, I never expected them on day one to be able to say, hey, you know what? That sounds great. Let's shake hands and start the season in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Every negotiation, I suppose, has a formal beginning. Oh, no question about it. And really, the, the beginning of this was more talk about revenue sharing, which, of course, was going to be an absolute deal breaker from the Players Association because, obviously, there'd be concerns about a cap being put in place. So, for me, this was a nice compromise from the owner's side of saying, okay, look, we're going to put the, the, the revenue sharing potential cap aside. We're not going to bring that out at all. But what they did is they put together sort of a, a degree of, of uh, compromise that the players have to make depending on how much salary that they're going to make. And that makes a lot more sense to me and I think to everybody else. So the structure of the deal, I think, makes some sense. It's the numbers that came out, which, of course, was the initial negotiating position of asking uh, established big league players that are making a lot of money to take up the 56% uh, cuts on their salary. That's after the half that they're already compromising for the season that's not being played. So I, I think we're at least in the ballpark, Andy, don't you think of at least having some sort of a structure that's not a salary cap, but puts some responsibility on both sides to get something done from the financial side? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with both of you guys. I think you had to go into this knowing that it wasn't going to be accepted right away, that there was going to be some back and forth for sure between the two sides. Um, and they have, they, they said, okay, the revenue, you know, sharing isn't going to work. So let's try to think of something else, something creative. And they did. And now it's on the players association to rebuttal, you know, and to counter back and to say, well, this is what we want. And, and we think this would be more fair or whatnot. So I think that they've got to go through probably a few iterations of that as quickly as they can to get to something that's fair. And that works for both sides, knowing that both sides are still going to have to compromise probably more than they would like to, but that's what happens in any good negotiation anyways. And I just look at the two sides and I look at all the information that's coming out every single day. It it makes you crazy, you know, reading it because it's always kind of changing and you can't get a good sense of really what direction it's going to fall. But I just think that they're playing the hand that they're dealt and they've never been dealt this hand and they're just trying to play it as best they can. And they might look back in five, 10, 20 years and say, Hey, we, you know, we should have done this, but hindsight's 2020. So they're both just trying to play the hand they're dealt and, you know, try to try to reach some kind of compromise there as quickly as possible. We often say in these kinds of circumstances that deadlines spur action. At this <laughs> point, no formal deadline. You know, the, the June 1st date has been thrown out there a lot is sort of like when they'd like to be able to get it done. Uh, a couple of reports have indicated they could possibly push that back to June 5th or June 10th. It, it's funny, Scans, because like I see both sides of hey, let's put a firm end date on this thing. Like I I could go either way. I don't know really what I think about it. For one, like we said, it could say, hey, this is, we got to get serious because we know that there's a date. On the other side though, why would you want to limit yourself uh, if you could still pull something off a a day or two after that? But it it seems very rare in these circumstances, no matter the sport, no matter the business, that something gets done more than, I don't know, a couple of minutes or hours before the deadline. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And we've talked about this process a little bit before, just from my experience of having been a member of the association and how these things sort of get done. And, and to your point, I think there's there's two things going on here. First of all, you do start working your way backwards and say, okay, if we want to start in early July, then we have to have players in some sort of a spring training camp getting ready 
to participate in those games. So you work your way back. You're talking about the first week of, of June to try to give these guys at least three weeks, which is sort of the minimum that I think people need to have. Okay, so that being said, do you have to have the entire deal inked and, and solidified on um, June 1st? No, I think you can actually do bits by parts and parts, right? So first thing is, okay, we need to get spring training going. What has to happen? What are the logistics of getting players out to camps? What are the safety issues of making sure that everybody is in there, everybody is going to be healthy and safe? I think you can work on those things, get players going, and there's still things working around in the background, like the financial side and other other logistics, travel logistics, things that don't have to be established early on. So, yes, there is a deadline where this has to get going. Otherwise, you're just not going to have players ready. But on the other hand, I don't think you have to have everything in place. And we've seen this in other collective bargaining agreements where the, the basic blueprint is in place and details are worked out afterwards just to make sure that you get everybody on the field. And I think that's what everyone is still hoping will happen. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I feel less concerned about the finances being the, the deal breaker as much as the logistics of how are they going to test all these guys and keep everybody satisfied that their health is being looked at first and foremost. Do you guys have a feel on that one way or another? Annie, what do you think? Are you more concerned at this point, uh, economics or health safety, logistics, or, or all of the above? Well, I think a little bit all of the above, but I do think, okay, financially, financially seems like their biggest sticking point, right? But at the same time, you know, it's not going to look very good. And I don't know at the end of the day how much that matters, if, if at all. It's not going to look very good if they can't come to some kind of an agreement and you've got the NBA and you've got the NHL and you've got these other leagues coming to an agreement and, and getting their players back in play. Of course, you, you know, you don't want to do something too fast just because other leagues are resuming play if they're allowed to, but you do probably want to be able to show that you can probably come to some kind of an agreement. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't know. I mean, you got to think, you know, how much are these guys dug into their heels on each side and how much are they willing to risk maybe losing this year, you know, and, and are they okay with that? I mean, when you look at, if you, if you are to go with those numbers of um, teams losing a lot of money without fans, are they okay with not having baseball? You know, if players demand more money and things like that, are players okay with not having baseball if the health concerns don't really match up to what they perceive their salary should be? You know, so I, I you know, it's kind of weird to think, oh, you know, you think they'll come to an agreement. They'll, they have to, but but I don't know. I, I, I can't really put my finger on them coming to agreement. There's there's so many weird things that have happened already in 2020 that them not coming to an agreement could happen. <laughs> you know, like it's not impossible, you know, so so we'll see. But I do think that the health concerns executed is a lot different than the health concerns on paper. Like if they get this financial thing figured out, actually executing some of the health things that they've been trying to figure out in real time, you know, how is that? How is it feasible? You know, I think those are some things that are also going to be hurdles down the road. It, it that's a great point and obviously unanswerable. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we don't know. We don't know the answer to that question. You know, can they actually pull off everything they put down on paper in terms of health and safety? It's never been attempted before, so it's uncharted territories. That's so why I, I think, for me personally, I try and give both sides a ton of slack at the moment. Um, because it's legitimately something nobody's ever had to deal with before. Anyone, no one's ever had to go through before. And, and you brought up the NHL who announced their plan yesterday and the NBA. And, and as far as I'm concerned, those leagues have it easy uh, because they yeah. basically just got to get the playoffs in. And, and that's a much different scenario, particularly from a logistical standpoint. You know, baseball, you're still talking about all this travel and playing, you know, 82 games. That's more than or what those two leagues play in their regular season. 
and, and, you know, or what they play in their regular season in a normal year. Uh, and the baseball trying to do that in kind of a compressed way. So, uh, it's, it's very complicated scans your question. I don't know that I, I have too strong of an opinion on what the biggest sticking point is. I guess we'll find out at some point in the next week or so. Uh, but it, it just, I guess goes to show like there's, there's a lot that can be sticky. Jesse, that's a great no, point. No. I just want to, I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, scan. Sorry if I interrupted. I just jumped right no, in no. there on scan scans. And you, see, you go for it. Annie. Go, go, go. Hold up that, uh, no, but I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. I mean, the, the postseason is a lot different than a full season plus a postseason. And, you know, to talk about the deadlines for a quick second, um, you know, they've, they've, they're operating under the assumption that there won't be a second wave that maybe totally shuts it down. And some of that money is going to come from postseason play. So there's just so many variables that they can't, they can't pinpoint, even if they tried, they just wouldn't be able to, but scans, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I thought it was interesting because you guys are talking about the logistics of putting together a schedule and how do you coordinate it and just going to postseason. That all makes sense. My question for those leagues are, look, those are complete contact sports, right? I mean, in hockey and, and basketball, you can't have social distancing like you can presumably put together artificially in a, in a baseball environment. So even more so for those leagues, I'm curious to see how the players respond to that in terms of what they believe their health concerns and health risks are in a, in a contact environment that they have. Um, a little bit easier for baseball players to maybe justify it. So it will be curious to see how this all plays out with all the leagues. Yeah, and and I guess that's the thing they have going against them in the NBA and the NHL. The thing they have going for them is because they're only trying to play the postseason or maybe the last little bit of the regular season with basketball. We'll see. They can do the bubble thing. Uh, you know, that baseball kind of floated out there at the very beginning of all of this, where they're just going to put everybody in one place or maybe two places and not let anyone out, you know, and they can completely control the environment or at least come as close to completely controlling it as they can. Baseball doesn't really have that ability uh, because, again, they're trying to get in 82 games, maybe more, maybe a few less. Who knows over the course of the whole thing? Anyway, that's the latest. Not a newsy day, uh, but it's certainly fascinating stuff. And uh, again, obviously, we all hope that something can be worked out uh, that both sides are okay with, or even if both sides are a little upset with. That's the sign yeah. of a good negotiation. Right? That's what they always True. say in the movies. Everybody walks away a little bit upset. I, I miss being able to argue about regular baseball stuff, though, I got to tell you. And uh, back in 2001, there was an occurrence involving the Padres that got many people heated under the collar, many people arguing and debating over it. The anniversary of that game was yesterday. We didn't even talk about it on yesterday's show because we were so swamped with new information coming out of the long weekend about baseball's plans. Uh, but But this one, to me... Let me just set the scene, not to make it about myself, but like for people out of San Diego to realize how big of a deal this was in the baseball world. When this happened, I was a college kid in Miami and I had like screaming mad opinions about it. So this wasn't one of those things that took place on the West Coast that nobody talked about around the country. This was something that everybody was talking about. It was the Padres. It was the Diamondbacks. It was uh, Kurt Schilling. And of course, it was Ben Davis. We're ready to go now. Pitch on the way to Ben Davis. A chopper to second. Got to hurry up with it. No play. A base hit. Infield hit on the buck for Ben Davis. How do you like that? I'll tell you what. From a macho standpoint, a lot of guys won't like that. Nope. To lay down a butt when everybody's back and get a base hit and ruin a no-hitter will not go well in the fraternity of uh, grown-up baseball players. But the hit's on. Davis at first. Here's Bubba Trammell. But I'll tell you what, and Bruce Bochy will defend him by saying, Oh, sure. I got a 2 nothing game here. I want to get a guy on. I bring the tying run to the plate. I get a bomb. I get a run here. I get a run in line. If I can tie this thing up, I can win the game. I don't care about uh, how he gets a hit. I want a guy on. Uh, Jerry Coleman and Ted Leitner and Uncle Teddy, as far as I'm concerned, hits it on the head. It's a 2 nothing game. 
It's not my job to help you throw a perfect game. Ain't nothing. I can understand people being upset. Bob Brenly, of course, afterwards was not happy about it, sticking up for his guy. I wouldn't expect anything else. Uh, but again, for me, 3,000 miles away in college, late night, I was like, how are people upset about this? It's a 2 nothing game. I was so passionate. I cared so much. And I didn't know at the time, of course, I would ever have anything to do with the San Diego Padres. Bob, you have a lot of old school leanings. You and I have had a lot of great arguments and debates over the years. What say you about Ben Davis and Kurt Schilling all these years later? Oh, my gosh. First of all, how cool is it just to see a Major League Baseball game, a clip from a Major League game? Second of all, to hear the Colonel and, and Teddy together. I mean, that that – brought goosebumps to me just to hear their voices and and i thought they both did a great job of bringing up both sides of it jerry first saying you know what that's going to cause a lot of controversy and it did and teddy coming right back and pointing out yeah but you have to put it in context this is about winning a baseball game this is not about personal accolades and rewards or whatever this is about trying to win a game and look there's all kinds of gray area in these types of situations and as a former pitcher when i first saw it i'm like that's terrible but then when i actually stepped back and said hey Let's take a look at the situation here. First of all, Schilling was dealing that night, right? And and Ben Davis himself said, look, I had terrible swings against him. I had no chance. He saw Jay Bell, the second baseman right there, playing deep. It was a terrible pitch. It was a hanging breaking ball and a terrible bunt, but it got the job done. And you understand why Ben Davis, when he went out the next inning to catch, was getting all kinds of grief from that Diamondbacks dugout. I get it. But you know what? This is a situation where you're trying to win a game. He's got Bubba Trammell on deck who has 25 home runs that season. All he has to do is get on and give the big man behind him a chance to tie this game. That's what comes first. If it's a 5 nothing game, it's a different story. But, hey, you're out there to win a baseball game. Annie, I don't know. Do you have a different take on it? Or are you believing with us that it's got some context to it? No, I absolutely agree. This is the thing. Like, it, it, you're trying to win a game. I mean, I can't say it any better than you guys have already said it. It's not his job to preserve that game for Schilling. It's just not, you know, and I agree if the score had been different, if there had been a different deficit, then maybe you don't do that there, but two nothing and you can get the tying run. I mean, you got to go for it, of course. And he, it was also, I think his third AB, right? So his first two, I think it was, it was ground out and a strikeout or something like that. So he knew he had to do something right to get on base. Um, I too loved hearing Jerry Coleman and uncle Teddy on there. And I would have loved to see video of an angry, young, screaming Jesse, but I do have a question for you guys when I saw this, which is because both of you, you know, you have a lot of history in baseball, especially, but um, you know, there are so many unwritten rules and I love that part of it in some sense. I think it's great, the tradition and things like that. But then some of them, it's like, okay, we got, we got to let this go. You know, like we got to kind of let this go over time. And I'm interested if you guys feel the same way that maybe some of them are, are a bit antiquated and, and maybe don't need to be held on to so tightly. Yeah, I would say that there are some that maybe, and even as a player, we have debates about them. Like, when is it okay to steal a base? What does the score need to be? You know, are you up? Are you down? Is it okay to steal? Is it not? And again, there's some there's some gray area there. We used to have those debates at Wrigley Field when the wind is blowing out, and we'd be up by five or six runs, and we'd send a runner, and we could tell the other team was upset about it. And we'd hear afterwards, you know, through guys talking in the tunnel and, te- you know, hey, that, that wasn't too cool. Don't be surprised if so-and-so gets one in the ribs tomorrow and be like, wait a minute, this is Wrigley Field. The wind is blowing out. A pop-up, the shortstop might go out. So there, there's all kinds of vagaries in it. And it comes it, to your point, Annie, you know, remember 2014 when Andrew Kashner had a, a, a no-hitter going into the fifth inning? Yeah. And I, 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 I can't remember who it was, but Brown uh, for the Phillies bunted on him. 
and he broke it up, you know, and, and Cash was a little upset about it. But again, that's, that's the fifth inning. There's so much more baseball that has to go on. Justin yes. Verlander, same thing in 2017, had a perfecto. But it was the sixth inning and, and draw dice and bunts on him to break it up. And, and to his credit, Kurt Schilling actually acknowledged later after this event took place, many years later, but he said, you know what? I understood it. You know, it was a close game. And Bob Brenly was super upset about it. To this day, he still says, you know, <laughs> he's mad about that. But he's softened his tone in a couple of interviews that I've seen as well. So I, I think as, as you step back and you, you look at it, the, the, the calmer head prevails. But there's certainly a lot of those unwritten rules, Andy. And I wonder if they're going to break down because we see guys flipping bats more. We see players want to be players. So I think some of those old school barriers are already starting to dissolve. I don't think there's any doubt about that. A lot of those unwritten rules, it seems like have been erased just in the last, I mean, four or five years, honestly, Scan. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty remarkable how quickly it's happening. The boulder is rolling down the hill, as they say. Uh, so that was yesterday <laughs> in 2001. Tomorrow, Ben Davis will be on the show. Uh, so we'll get an opportunity to catch up with him and, and hear it uh, directly uh, from the man uh, who, who was involved. So I don't think we're going to get Schilling, but we will get Ben Davis on the show tomorrow. <laughs> I don't want Schilling, honestly. I mean, hey, Jesse, don't forget to ask Ben about the commercial that he did after his rookie season, running down the beach of San Diego with all the girls chasing after him. It's a classic. <laughs> it took a lot of heat from them from the boys in the clubhouse. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. We'll see if we can fire up that video, too. Yeah. Uh, before we go, Cole, is there any way to hear the the call again of the Ben Davis. I just, I want to hear the Colonel and Teddy. That's really like, as Andy and Bob both said, here you go. We're ready to go now. Pitch on the way to Ben Davis, a chopper to second. Got to hurry up with it. No play, a base hit. Infield hit on the bunt for Ben Davis. How do you like that? I'll tell you what, from a macho standpoint, a lot of guys won't like that. Nope. To lay down a bunt when everybody's back and get a base hit and ruin a no hitter, will not go well in the fraternity of uh, grown-up baseball players. But the hit's on. Davis at first. Here's Bubba Trammell. But I'll tell you what, and Bruce Bochy will defend him by saying, Oh, sure. I got a 2 nothing game here. I want to get a guy on. I bring a tying run to the plate. I get a bomb. I get a run here. I get a run in line. If I can tie this thing up, I can win the game. I don't care about uh, how he gets a hit. I want a guy on. Great stuff. Uh, just hearing their voices uh, makes me very happy right now. All right. So Ben Davis be on the show tomorrow. Uh, we'll look forward to that and have some fun with it. All right, guys. Uh, time now for the birthday portion of the show. I mentioned this at the start. It's a very it's not either one of your birthdays, is it? OK, <laughs> no. well, it's it's everybody else's birthday. Uh, it seems like most importantly, it's the Padres and the Expos, hence the, uh, the binary outfit there by Bob Scanlon <laughs> on this date in 1968. Major League Baseball officially awarded National League expansion franchises to the cities of San Diego and Montreal obviously would not begin play until the next year, but you can mark it down in a way. Today is the Padres birthday, uh, May 27th, 1968. They got the news officially that they would have a national league club for the 1969 season. Um, expansion is something that has always fascinated me as a fan. Part of that was I grew up in South Florida um, and the Marlins didn't exist till I was 11. I was a huge baseball fan before the Marlins existed, but it, it's hard to explain people who haven't lived through it. The run up to that, whether it's a year or less in this case with the Padres and Expos, or if it's a couple years, as was the case with the Marlins in the early nineties, like the excitement surrounding it is just extraordinary. And you kind of know the team is going to stink because that's generally the case with expansion teams, although it's gotten better in recent years, of course. Um, but like, it's just like this palatable 
full-on, full-throttle excitement. And uh, what a cool time that must have been uh, in both Montreal and, of course, San Diego when, when that was getting ready to go. But uh, Scanza wins the outfit of the day, certainly. Definitely. It. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when we talk about the Padres' expansion, It's there was so much that goes into making the decisions on who gets those expansion teams. And it's really interesting that Walter O'Malley was actually the chair of the National League uh, board to make the decision on who was going to get National League teams. And he had a connection with Montreal at that time because, of course, as owner of the Dodgers, they had some minor league affiliates, and it was the Montreal Royals at the time that was a minor league affiliate of the Dodgers. So he had a bias of saying, yeah, let's try to get baseball into Montreal. So that's kind of what got into Montreal. But it's sort of interesting now that all these years later that with Peter and Tom Seidler, you know, having a connection uh, to, to the Padres, uh, one of the expansion teams of that time. Um, and of course, you know, there's the relation with the O'Malley family and everything. So it's it's kind of interesting to see how it all all combines together. Um, but it's it's great that the Padres and Montreal Expos were, were both able to get in and uh, still waiting for a championship for our Padres. Let's get it going, man. Let's go. Let's get the season going. No, you know what? I, it's funny too, Scans, because it's like, it, it. it's not that long ago, you know? Like you think back to, to 1969, it's, it's just really not that far from where we are today, you know? So um, I just think you're right. I mean, the, the run up to getting a team and the way that a city embraces a team that they haven't had before, I think is so cool, you know, because it definitely transforms a city. There is no doubt about it. And it transforms just like the landscape of that city for the whole future, you know? So it's really cool. And, and like, like uh, Stan said, it definitely came full circle here too with Padres. Mentioned it a couple you know, of weeks ago. So, Go ahead, Scan. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to bring up another perspective because, Jesse, you were talking about the excitement of the fans, uh, you know, getting their new team. At that time of the, the Rockies coming around and everything, I was a member of the Cubs. And so I was subject to that expansion draft. And that's a whole different avenue to look at at some point because for the player's perspective, when you're with a club and you have no idea if you're going to get picked up in that draft and guys are trying to look at it and say, I think they like you better than they like me. No, no. My agent talked to them last week and they're not, you know, hot on me right now. They're hot on you. So there's a lot of angst and anxiety as much as it's fun for the city, for the players that are trying to figure out where they're going to go. It's really interesting. And and one of the drafts for, um, for the Padres at that time was, Mudcat Grant. So I always think of Mark Grant, and we, we call him Mudcat <laughs> sometimes. And actually, there was a Mudcat Grant. He was part of the expansion draft for the, uh, the original Padres. The the real Mudcat Grant. Cool. Uh, Ramon, <laughs> yeah. The the one who started it all. Uh, so that was uh, on this date in 1968. Another birthday, many years later. Uh, Padre right-hander Garrett Richards. Uh, boy, you talk about all the reasons you'd be disappointed if we weren't able to play a 2020 season. From Padre perspective, this guy would be up near the top of that list. Uh, you know, sign him to a two-year deal going into last year, Annie, knowing that he was coming back from Tommy John surgery. Probably wouldn't be much of a factor in 2019. But, hey, 2020, we like the way we're set up. We want a healthy Garrett Richards in 2020. And we're all just still sitting around waiting for him to go. This one makes me a little sad, I'm not going to lie, because I know Jesse and Scans, you guys – just like me, talk to him in spring training. And he's just such a, a great guy to talk to. He was so excited for this season and especially, you know, getting on the mound a few times at the end of last season. He's such a positive influence in this young rotation. And he, he just has a really good head on his shoulders. I mean, he's just a lot of fun to talk to. So um, watching him in this spring training, the abbreviated spring training, it was fun. It was like you could feel that energy from him, you know, and he said he, he was so excited about this next chapter for him. 
after going through that injury like that. So I am a little bit sad that we are not seeing him right now kind of, you know, do what he wanted to do this season. But uh, maybe we will still have the chance later this year. Scans, I, I know you talked to him too. Oh, Annie, I agree with everything you just said. And the other thing, let's not forget, as, as cool as his fastball slider combination is, how about the yellow shoes and the yellow glove that match the uniform? <laughs> the guy's got some style to go with the stuff. I love it. This is one of those guys that I wish I could have been a teammate of. Mm-hmm. You know, every now and then there'll be players that come through and I'd be like, dang, I, I really would have enjoyed playing with that player, whether it's a position player to learn from him or just the, the influence and impact he has on a clubhouse. For Garrett Richards, it's his intensity. I had no idea how intense he was because we spent a lot of time last year with him during his rehab assignment. And then when he finally got a chance to pitch, he just turned into a different dude. I mean, he was so intense and I, and it just resonated. And I felt like this is incredible. This is the type of influence that we want to have on our young players, putting him together with the Chris Paddocks and the Joey Lucases and, you know, and Gore comes up and some of the other kids that we have along the way, that is the influence that I want to have on my players. He, he loved talking to the young players. It was great to see him stuff wise in spring training too. easy 96, 97 mile an hour stuff when the fastball nasty slider. So I hope we get a chance to see him play at some point this year, just to see what he can do. Granted it's his last season with the Padres contractually. Um, but you know, if you talk about a shortened season, he's actually one of the guys that would benefit from him yeah. because I think coming into the season, we were wondering, well, how many innings is he actually going to be able to throw coming off of the Tommy John surgeries that he has? And the answer is, well, I think there's going to be plenty of innings for him to go deep into games in a shortened season situation. So I'm hoping we're still going to get a chance to see that, guys. Yeah, when you're talking about a season that's half the length of usual, that's nice for Garrett Richards. That's nice if you're going to maybe call up a couple of guys to make their major league debuts, guys who are going to have the governor on them no matter what in terms of innings and pitches and everything like that. It does, I'll say it like we've said it before, it sets up pretty nicely for the Padres from a pitching perspective if you're going to play an 82-game season between the bullpen strength and some of the young arms, guys coming back from injury. Every team has them, I know, but it, it, it seems to sit pretty well. So happy birthday, Garrett Richards. Hope to see you uh, pitching in a Padre game for realsies uh, sometime soon. All right, one last birthday thing. Uh, that 1968 date, big again, not just because of the Padres and the Expos, but May 27th, 1968, both Jeff Bagwell and Frank Thomas were born. Hall of Famers both. So they both turned uh, 52 years old today. Guys, I put Elias on it. Thanks to uh, JP and our media relations office for the help. Jeff Bagwell and Frank Thomas, the only two members of the Hall of Fame born on the exact same day, same month, same day, same year. I thought that was kind of cool. I know I'll find it much more cooler than most people, but uh, Thomas and Bagwell, both 52 today, all-timers, both obviously in the Hall of Fame. Um, There are other guys, of course, who share birthdays, including Trevor Hoffman and Eddie Matthews, born on the same day, but, you know, 36 years apart. John Smoltz and George Brett, six years apart on the same day. Robbie Alomar, Hank Aaron, about 35 years apart on the same day. So you got other examples of that. But Bagwell and Thomas, the only two members of the Hall of Fame, Annie, to be born on the exact same day. That is what we call a hashtag fun fact. We would be using it if we were at the ballpark. Shout out to Jefferson Nolan, though, for a for getting that because that's a good that's a good grab right there and I'll uh I don't know what do you think scan I've got some kind of lighting issue I gotta I gotta deal with right now I'll pass it to scan lighting going on right here club Annie is that what you said Jess? Yeah. I like it <laughs> oh costume change for Bob. yeah that's probably what I that's probably what I should be doing <laughs>
Oh, we're talking about one of my former teammates, Jeff Bagwell. I had to bust out my Astros hat when we were on the same ball club together. What a great teammate. And uh, in my opinion, underrated as a player. I know there were a lot of people that were sort of on the fence, 449 home runs. Some people use the 500 home run plateau as sort of their measurement. But you have to remember where he played in the Astrodome. That was one of the toughest places of our generation, my playing generation, trying to get the ball out of the ballpark. And he continued to do it on top of that, a 408 lifetime on base percentage. I mean, I don't care what area you're in. That is impressive. He, and he had a gold glove. I, another point, I think he was underrated on the defensive side, getting a chance to see him on a daily basis. He played so aggressively at first base. He, he was fearless over there. He, he reminds me sort of of Eric, Eric Hosmer in terms of Haas always charging, always trying to find the lead runner. Bags was the same way, and he would save you a lot of outs that way. So great teammate, a lot of good memories with him, um, a stand-up guy. And I, I can't tell you how many times I saw him play hurt. A couple of times he got spiked. He was bleeding. They had to stitch him up in between innings. He'd go back out there and play. So nothing but tons of respect uh, for Jeff Bagwell and, and what he was able to do over the course of his career. And I had this cute little picture of him and my daughter. I don't know if you can see that on the uh, – Oh, wow. Back in the day, so that was kind of cool. Good memories of Bags. Thanks, Baggy. Great Hall of Fame career, and happy birthday to you. Absolutely. A couple of all-time swings and batting stances as well with those two guys. So Jeff Bagwell, yeah. uh, let's see, Jeff Bagwell, Frank Thomas, the Padres and the Expos, all born on this date uh, in 1968. Pretty good stuff. All right, we're going to pivot away from baseball directly uh, for just a moment. We're going to talk beer. Of course, that's indirectly very much a part of baseball. Uh, Ballast Point has become uh, pretty much, I think it's fair to say, a local institution here in San Diego since its founding in 1996. Great relationship with the Padres. See Ballast Point beer all over the ballpark, uh, but also from a, a community standpoint, doing really nice things together. And an opportunity today to meet and chat with, virtually, of course, uh, Brendan Waters. He is the new CEO of Ballast Point. For those who haven't followed uh, the industry, I guess, uh, the quick version is you had the founders who started it in 1996. A few years ago, they sold the thing for a billion dollars uh, to one of the big, big companies, Constellation. Uh, these guys, the new guys, Brendan and his partner, bought it from Constellation. So they're bringing the craft back uh, to Ballast Point. They're small, independent brewmaster type guys. I don't know all the lingo and terminology. I apologize. But I, I enjoy the beer and uh, I really enjoyed chatting with Brendan today. Well, Brandon, thank you for doing this. And uh, let me make this uh, my welcome to to you and the company here in San Diego. Welcome back, obviously, uh, for Ballast. But you're new uh, to the area. I want to start at the beginning, though, and discuss how you got into beer in the first place. Take us, perhaps, if you will, through your your business journey and and how it ended up uh, in this particular business. Yeah, no, thanks. And thanks for having me. Um, I I think to, to I'm Australian. So Starting beer, you start beer early in Australia. So, you know, that, that's just one of the things you do. There's pubs everywhere and it's a very big social thing. So lagers and, and pilsners, you know, we, we jump into pretty young. But uh, but I actually started brewing beer with um, five college buddies. Out, I, I went to university in Sydney and we couldn't afford to buy the, the, the beer because we were poor college students, so we brewed our own in our kitchen. And so we brewed it. It tasted like crap, but we drank it anyway. And we also sold it to other college friends. So that's when I first got into it. And then after a period of time over here, um, you know, I've been living in the US since 1998. And, uh, and what ended up happening is I, I just started getting back into the brew scene again. 
after I sold my hotel company and uh, and a buddy of mine said, well, I want to learn to brew. Do you mind uh, if I come in with you? And so we just started home brewing again. And then it's sort of, you know, like anything over a beer, it sort of gets going. The stories get better. You start going. And, uh, and we started Kings and Convicts back in 2016. And so it was supposed to be a little, a little place where we could homebrew. I could have the baseball on, the football on, and we could go with our buddies and we could drink the beer. And hopefully I was brewing better beer then than I was when I was back in college. And so um, that was the plan. And then it, it, what ended up happening is it, it evolved into, into a business and then it evolved into something where both Chris and I sat back and went, well, this is, you know, we're liking this. We're not going back to our other worlds. We like this thing. And so as we started to try and look at uh, a bigger deal and look at uh, growing our own business, Ballast Point was one of the places we would come out to because one of our favourite breweries in the country, even before we were able to get hold of it, um, we would come out and the, the Ballast crew were awesome. And um, they helped us get going with our next uh, venture that we were building up in Wisconsin. And so sort of it was a match made in heaven for us. And then it was, it was an easy sort of, holy crap, can we buy Ballast Point? How, how does one get to that point, though? I mean, it, it obviously had been acquired uh, by a very large corporation uh, for quite a bit of money, as I recall, living here at the time. Uh, like, and, and, you know, you were newish to the business um, obviously, you've been doing it and you've been passionate about it. Uh, but to be able to make that leap, I mean, you get into as much detail as you're comfortable with. I'm certainly not asking for numbers or anything like that, but but just sort of how that sort of thing takes place. So w- what happened is we were, we were putting uh, a lot of energy and a lot of funds into building our second phase brewery after we'd got out of our, okay, this is more than just a little brewery for our buddies to sit around, watch the Cubs and drink beer. And then uh, we needed some help. And we needed some help in understanding what a bigger what a bigger facility looks like. And so um, I had known some of the guys from Constellation who had done the acquisition. I drank beers with them and I played golf with them before. And and so my first entree was, hey, do you mind if we go out and look at Ballast Point? Um, we know that crew, and they'll we need some insider information as to how to build a bigger brew house. Constellation goes, eh, not a problem. Go out and have a chat to them. You know, off you go. So it, fast forward um, four years post the acquisition by Constellation, we had known that things weren't working out right. The culture of Ballast Point was very San Diego, very independent, very craft brew, and they were part of a much larger company, and we could sense that it wasn't working for Constellation, it wasn't working for Ballast Point. I mean, things don't work out all the time. So literally in July of last year, um, um, I had some of the Constellation crew up and I'm uh, giving them more than a couple of uh, Kings and Convicts beers. And I said, right, oh, no, fellas, what the hell are you doing with Ballast Point? And they said, why? And uh, I said, we want to buy it. And they seriously, they said, are you serious? I said, absolutely. And uh, they said, all right, we'll, we'll, um, if you're deadly serious, we'll connect you with some people internally. And uh, don't muck around. Are you, you've got to be serious. And I said, absolutely, I'm serious, as I knocked back my sixth IPA and uh, walked back in and said, holy crap, what have I done? So I said, right, how am I going to pull this off? So I called. I didn't tell Chris. He was away. He was, he was on, in holiday, on holidays with his family. I didn't want to bug him. But um, I came back. And then he came back after a couple of weeks. And I said, he said, how have things been going? I said, good. 
I said, uh, I know you've been away for a while, but it's time we get on playing. We're going out to Ballast Point. He said, we only just got back from out there. I said, yeah, but I told him we'll buy it. And he said, what the hell are you talking about? I said, just go with me, right? We're going to buy Ballast Point. He's going, what are you doing? What are you talking about? So anyway, um, after a little while and convincing, he said, holy crap, this could work. And if it works, he said, well, how are we going to pay for it? I said, don't worry about it. We'll work that out. And so that's basically how it happened. And then after a, a little bit of a negotiation back and forth uh, with the, the Constellation guys, we came to an agreement and uh, Bob's your uncle. Incredible. Uh, what a journey. And obviously just beginning in terms of the next phase. And that was the next thing I wanted to ask about. I mean, this deal closed in early March, basically as the world was changing. How has that been, obviously, with, with some of the limitations uh, that exist uh, throughout all of society now globally? Well, we we <laughs> we had a call with all the Ballast employees here uh, a week and a bit ago. We said, congratulations, you've now been owned by Kings and Convicts for 10 weeks. And we've been closed for nine of those. <laughs> so we shut the close the deal on on the on the second of March, and then this sort of was bubbling away, and then we had to shut everything a week later. And so for for ballast, you know, we we are somewhat fortunate because we have a a, a pretty large footprint in distribution. So we've got half of our business are these tap rooms that you see at Miramar and Little Italy, up in Disney and Long Beach and Chicago. And uh, we've got the home brew mart down there, the original place. Um, but half of our business is that we we put our our beer into cans and bottles and ship it out the door. And it goes into the, the Vons of the world in San Diego, the Bevmos, the Ralphs, the Costcos. And actually one of the interesting things is we had a truckload of swinging for our ale in in the big in the big vats. And we we're ready to go because we we're gearing up for the baseball season. And we were able to, um, instead of putting it into kegs, because keg beer, draft beer went away overnight. And so we were able to package that up in cans and bottles and ship that off to every every one of those locations. So we were able to pivot. But um, but like everyone, you know, we got we took that kick in the guts. And uh, but we we are more fortunate than than others that we've got that other element to the business of distribution that we're able to you know keep going so we we uh we knock on wood we we're a little luckier uh you you mentioned swinging fryer ale we saw that debut last year in coordination with the padres 50th anniversary it was a and still a red hot item here in town just kind of a really cool thing uh the partnership between the padres and ballast obviously a really strong one uh that has continued now during these times tell us a little bit about what uh both ballast and the padres are doing as it relates to swinging fryer air ale and uh feeding san diego yeah so so first first of all that that relationship um one of the one of the things when we looked at this this deal and, and looked at uh, acquiring the company we look at all the partnership agreements and that one to to me was um sacrosanct it is like holy crap this is the bloody padres this is this is the golden brand of san diego and we're a partner with it and so that for me was so important um you put on top of that that it's it's a fantastic beer we love the uh the sweet and fryer it's a it's a great easy drink and hoppy pale ale and we we love it and uh and so you know i would i would actually often have it uh, we got it down in the in the home room mart and i'd go down with the, the guys even before the deal and would uh would would have a would have enough of that and uh and so anyway with with that deal I'd had some ideas about how I wanted to get a bus and uh, after, you know, the, the COVID thing came out and I wanted to 
dress up as swing fryer ale and uh, swing and fryer and drive around and you know drop off beer to people in San Diego. But I was talked out of it by the Ballast Point crew, the Padres crew, and our attorneys. So we said, all right, what the what can we do? What the bloody hell can we do? Because if, if we're okay and we're in a position to help others, what do we do? What's and and because Ballast Point's home is San Diego, and and part of this deal for us is coming back into San Diego. We were going back and forth with the Padres, and we um, we agreed upon okay, let's it, it's it's a great beer. If uh, if if for every case of swing and fryer ale that we can sell, uh, we will donate a dollar, and the Padres will donate a dollar, and it's going to feed in San Diego. And at this point, for 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 this for this group for this foundation feeding San Diego, you would never have thought a couple of months ago, three months ago, that the number of people that would be relying upon this, but this is a new world. And so part of what we we agreed upon was let's do what we can while we can um, and let's do it uh, with with the with the Padres. And so that's that's basically how we jumped into it. They they need a lot of help. They're doing a hell of a job and anything that we can do to help them, uh, we were over the moon to, to jump in with the Padres. Fantastic. So a dollar from Ballast Point, a dollar from the Padres uh, for every case of uh, swing and fryer ale that's sold going to Feeding San Diego. Like you said, doing more work than we could have ever imagined they would have to do, unfortunately. Right, you mentioned the Cubs and baseball a couple of times here. Um, Australia has a professional baseball league. We've seen guys come over uh, and, and have some success here, but we don't often think of Australia as a baseball hotbed. You come off to me very clearly as like a legitimate baseball fan. How did that start? Oh, mate, I'm, I've been a Cubs fan. Right, um, for years and years, even before I, uh, I came to the US, I got a buddy that played um, that I went to college with, and he played in the the Oakland A's. Um, it wasn't their minor league system; it was before that. He played for the Australian baseball team, um, and then he came over and tried out, but he he just uh, just didn't make it. But he got me into baseball, and you know, I'm a cricket fan, and cricket and baseball have this similarity to it. It's a Australia's pastime and America's pastime is baseball and, and cricket is, is, is Australian. So I would, you know, growing up, all my kids are named after cricketers, every single one of them, even the girls are named after famous cricketers. And so I've got this, this affinity for the, the sport of baseball, similar to, to cricket, where you can sit, have a beer, watch the nuance, watch the strategy. And, I, and it's just, I've just loved it. But I chose to start my last company in Chicago because the Cubs were here. And so I've been a Cubs fan from way back. So I moved my family to Chicago because I love the bloody Cubs. And so I would go down there and on, on the night, um, I was in town on the night of, of the World Series final, seven game seven. Uh, we It's on my phone, my buddy and I, we walked around Wrigley Field for 11.5 miles. Um, we stayed up all night. We went straight back up to the local pub. We watched the replay of the game. It was one of those one of those days and one of those events that I it, I'll just never forget it. But it was. Um, but the the funny thing is, is I've been had on my bloody calendar for this year with the the Cubs. I think I had a four. I think I had a four game um, trip out to the Padres in May. Yeah. And and I you know and I had a couple of buddies that were coming out. We go right. So here's the deal. We've got Ballast Point that's got its own bar area in Petco. What we're going to do is I'm going to have a word to the Padres and I'm going to see if they'll let me put up a tent and we'll just stay there for the four days. We'll barbecue, we'll drip Ballast Point and we'll cheer on. I said, 
I'm 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 becoming a Padres fan now. I've got it. I said this, yeah, this is this is part of it. So I've got the the Cubs and the Padres. I said, holy crap! So I've got Petco and I've got Wrigley as my two stadiums. I'm golden. So Pretty no, I, I I love them. Uh, yeah, it was supposed to be, you're right, a Thursday through a Sunday, I think just a couple of weeks ago, maybe even last week. And uh, one of those uh, many of unfortunate things we're dealing with. All right. So we got passion for beer, obviously, passion for baseball, obviously, passion for San Diego, obviously. I'll leave you with this because we're taking a lot of your time. When you first, even before you ever considered purchasing Ballast Point, when you first visited, when you first started to learn from them, what, what struck you? What's the thing that kind of stood out that years later when you are going through that process, you kind of kept remembering to yourself and, and was part of maybe what encouraged you to get this done? That's a good question because it's it's not just about Ballast Point. I tell you what, I've got a – I feel home in San Diego. It's, I, can, I can wander – so I live in Encinitas um, and, and so I've got my place up there. I can wander around there in my flip-flops and shorts and hat and, and I feel like I'm back in Australia. You've got the eucalyptus trees. Everyone's a little bit more laid back than the rest of California, if, if that can be possible. But it's so funny. I come out of L.A. I'll go up and visit Disney. And I'll go up to our Long Beach. And I come around Pendleton, and you come down and sort of just go, ooh. And it's sort of – and the people are different. But the thing that I loved about it was that you've got that – beach aspect. You've got bloody Mexico that I love going down to. You've got the food part of it. You've got so you've got those beaches, you've got the mountains, you've got that laid back feel. But people love the outdoors. But what more importantly, they love San Diego. They are so passionate about their their city and what happens in San Diego. And so that really struck a nerve for me because because if, if if you love something, you're going to look after it. And I, I got the sense and Chris felt the same way. And, and then we would go around to, to other breweries around San Diego and we felt like I became buddies with them. You'd go in, the, 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 the crew at Pizza Port and the Coronado guys have been, you know, they've reached out to us after this deal. And it's just like, hey, come and sit down and have a beer with us. And it just seems to be a little bit more laid back and a little bit more, listen, if, 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 if you are real and um, you're, you're hanging out with people and you're treating them the right way, I just feel like San Diego is is an easy place to wander into. Now that doesn't mean that we're not going to, you know, kick the Dodgers' ass because that's the <laughs> that's our next. That's always that thing you've got to do. You've got to have those uh, that sort of you know fire up. You've got to have that uh, competitor in you. But I just love the food scene. The the, the all, all of the beer scene is just wonderful. But I just love the way people. Now I've been out fishing more, and I've been into the brewery now because I'll go out. Um, because of the COVID, but I can go out and get the bloody yellow child, yellow tail. We go out on a buddy. We can go out and catch tuna. And I'm just thinking, holy crap, this is what a, what a life. I'd say uh, Brendan Waters, new CEO of Ballast Point, a uh, San Diego institution. And uh, as we mentioned, doing great stuff with the Padres and feeding San Diego here during this uh, COVID-19 crisis. What an absolute treat to hear from you and uh, get to talk to you for the first time. Uh, welcome again uh, to San Diego and uh, very glad that, uh, that things are going the way they are for the brewery. Uh, I've been here a little over six years now, and uh, Ballast Point was one of those very early places that we sort of discovered and fell in love with. And uh, it, it's neat that it's back in, uh, in these kinds of hands, certainly. So thank you for your time and uh, look forward to seeing you at Petco, hopefully not too long from now. Absolutely. Get a sculpting or a swinging fryer out India. <laughs> Brandon Waters of uh, Ballast Point, the new CEO. 
quite a character. I, I, I was trying not to overhype that interview, but, you know, we taped it earlier this afternoon. And as soon as it was done, I was just like, wow, that was sensational. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, and again, both. Uh, yeah, exactly. Melody, uh, both the Padres and Ballast Point giving a dollar for every case of Swing and Fire Ale sold. They've been doing that, I think, since uh, March or thereabouts. And they're continue it at least uh, through the end of June. Bring back uh, Bob and Annie now. Annie, you're smiling. I, like, I feel like that's it. Yeah, exactly. Your guys' faces are, Annie, the only way I feel like you can look after listening uh, to Brendan do his thing there. I was giggling, like, the whole time. I mean, what a great interview. What a great guy. His enthusiasm is contagious. But doesn't he also just seem like a guy that you, you want to have beers with? Like, you yes. hope to run into this guy and, and have a few beers with him. Also, too, everything sounds better with an Aussie accent. He's like bloody Padres, and it's, it's awesome. And Brendan, if you're watching, I would have loved for you to dress up like the Swinging Friar and run around town. I, I think that's just what San Diego needs. So the partnership is very cool, but uh, maybe throw that costume on anyways and tell the lawyers to look the other way. Scan though, right? Don't you want to hang out with this guy? Like you said, any crikey, is there anything better than an Australian accent, mate? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's great. Whatever they're into, you're having fun. They have such a great spirit down there. Yeah. I had the good fortune of having a couple of teammates that were from uh, Graham Lloyd and, and Dave Nilsson. Fun guys and just a great spirit about them. They're people that love life. Um, and it's great to see him bringing that spirit to San Diego. And, and Annie, I just want to know, do you have any swinging prior beers over in Club Annie over there? I don't have any swinging. I got to get some. That's exactly what I need. Next time, <laughs> while you guys have the hats and the, you know, all the, the cool jerseys and things like that, I'm just going to have beer, swinging prior beer behind me. And I'll probably have the best set of all, you know? Yeah, you'll, you'll have more fun than us then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, your short whites will be all set. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. All right. Uh, speaking of hats, Bob has uh, switched into his KT Wiz regalia. That means it must be time. <laughs> For the KBO Sadness Report. Oh, they changed it. It's the KBO Gladness Report because the KT Wiz were victors last night. Took down Matt Williams, Kia Tigers by a final of five to nothing. There was one story in this game, guys, and it was our guy, Odris Amer de He was absolutely stellar in this game. Mel Rojas been red hot. He's driving in all their runs. But our boy OD... Eight shutout innings, four hits, seven strikeouts. He has had already like two or three games lost by the bullpen where he left with the lead and they blew it for him. So he throws out 112 pitches in eight innings, leaving nothing to chance whatsoever. Scans in Despagne's last three starts now a 0.86 ERA. He's dealing in the KBO. Did we lose Bob? He's Damn. absolutely mowing, Jesse. And <laughs> yo, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Sorry, go ahead. Am I gone? <laughs> That's how filthy Despagne has been, Annie, is that uh, he has knocked Bob's connection off. That's that's how good OD has been. Yeah, that's my fault, too, uh, shouting at Scans. I think, I think he was back there. So sorry about that, Scans. I'm going to hopefully get back to you right here in a second. But it's good to see him doing this. You know what? Like you said, uh, for the bullpen to lose the lead for him a, f- a few times, it's definitely demoralizing. So for him to come out there and just show his stuff, you know, I mean, that's that's what you all you can hope for. And especially with the sadness that's been going on, OD bringing the gladness, you know, so – I think maybe he heard us all talking on this show, you know, scans you back. What do you think? I don't know. Can you guys see and hear me now? Am I back? Okay, cool. Um, Yeah. Seeing the O-Dog deal is always all kinds of fun. We had so much fun watching him pitch here 
with the Padres. And, you know, what's interesting is they say that his velocity is actually up. So it's not just him facing, you know, a little bit lower class of, of hitter, which maybe he is. But this guy's experienced. You got to remember, he's pitched in Cuba against some of the best players in international baseball. He pitched in the big leagues for all those years. So the fact that he's dealing in this league shouldn't be a huge surprise. And what's interesting is I always think of him as being so old. And I think he's 33 years old this year. So, yes, he's he's on the older side, but he still has good stuff. And what I'm hearing, guys, is that there's major league teams that are starting to look under the hood at him a second time and saying, you know what, if he's doing that good down there, maybe he can do something for us back over here. The New York Mets, I guess, are one of the teams with all the injuries they've had to their arms and their staff saying, you know what, maybe we're going to take a look at this guy. So who knows? We may see uh, the O-Dog back in the United States before it's all said and done. But good to see him doing dealing it for our whiz right now, right? I just love that Scans has sources, apparently. He's got, like, KBO inside information. How is this happening? And the hats. I have to say, like, you both look really good in the hats. But, yeah, Scans, I agree. Like, bringing the sources and the gear. You know what, guys? Uh, I, I got my finger on the pulse all over the world. What can I say? <laughs> Andy, if you need a hat, let me know what size you are. We got to hook you up so you have a hat. You can join us. Thank you to Scans for my hat. This was my uh, ode to Odrisamer with the, uh, the the tilted hat right there. Oh, like, yeah, I love that. That's awesome, Jesse. Yes, that's a great yeah. touch. <laughs> well, I'm on board with it. And Fernando Rodney, if he goes pitch down there. Of course. Yeah, he, he, he would be great. So thank you for the hat, Bob. Appreciate it uh, very much. One other KBO on, note buddy. today. Uh, we talked yesterday about how the Hanwha Eagles, uh, I think they had some, uh, was it Pokemon guys in the crowd, like stuffed animals? Uh, again, no fans, so everybody's trying to get creative. They've added some more. You got SpongeBob now. <laughs> Very creepy, right behind home plate, uh, which I like. So SpongeBob is uh, now part of the Hanma Eagles crowd. Two SpongeBobs, it appears. Uh, yeah, big SpongeBob, little SpongeBob. They had some others also uh, that I think we have footage of as well. Uh, just some more stuffed animal type guys. Here we go. I don't know all of them. I see an Olaf. Uh, I see like maybe just a bunny, a teddy bear. Uh, they're, they're just going with the, the creepy stuffed animal approach. It's really funny to me, though. I got to tell you, Annie, do you have a preference? It's all these different things we've seen in terms of uh, how, how teams are they're social distancing, by the way, you should notice the stuffies. Um, but uh, do you have a, a favorite approach yet and how the teams are trying to fill their stands during these times? It is so creepy and I love it. Like it is between this and the cardboard people. Um, I, I give it a draw. They're both creepy and I love them both, but I don't know something about the, the, the stuffed animals just, you know, makes me especially happy. So I, I might have to give the nod to the creepy stuffed animals for sure. Scans, do you have a preference? Like, I mean, if we were going to do this at Petco, let's say we get everything figured out, we're able to play the games, uh, this year, but no fans, at least at the beginning, and you can do something like this or the cardboard people, or you put up iPads, you know, that has fans' faces. What would uh, what would Bob do if he were running the show? Huh? We lost him again. All right. You know, I love the cardboard. Uh, oh, really? Am I gone? Am I back? I, I love the cardboard idea. I love people being able to pick somebody that looks like themselves or a family member or a famous public figure or whatever they want and have that represent them in the fan, in the stands. But I also love anything that has SpongeBob. With my kids watching SpongeBob for 12 to 15 years, I've seen every single episode. So I'd love to see Patrick and Squidward and Sandy and, you know, and Mr. Crab and the rest of the crew all, all sitting there uh, enjoying a baseball game. So maybe we can have a mix of both. 
Yeah, I like it. There's uh, there's certainly, unfortunately, plenty of opportunity, it seems like, uh, to try and get these things done. All right. Uh, things are starting to slowly reopen and normalize a little bit, of course, here in San Diego. Uh, retail operations are starting to ramp up. Uh, this is a question I've gotten from a lot of people on social media the last few weeks about Padres gear. Not everybody has stocked up on their brown stuff yet, and the team store at Petco is actually uh, ready to go. Obviously, it will not be the same as previously. Uh, if you go in there as a guest, uh, you got to wear a mask. Uh, the staff will all be wearing masks. They're going to have, uh, as you see, a sanitation station right at the entrance. Uh, you've got like the uh, hand sanitizer plus the sink with the soap. You'll be doing the social distancing. You see the marks on the floors there. Uh, when you go to pay, I think they're going to have some plexiglass, that kind of thing. But the uh, team store is now open at Petco and uh, trying to make this as uh, safe and convenient for everybody as possible. I think there's shortened hours, like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., something like that. Don't quote me. You can check Padre's social media for all the details. But if you got a if you got an itch that needs to be scratched in the team store, throw the mask on, uh, head to Petco. And uh, it might take a little bit longer than usual if there's a lot of people waiting, that kind of stuff. But hopefully you can get in and out uh, as safely and quickly as possible. So just wanted to pass all that along. There you go. Good form with the two hands. You don't want to lose one. It's, it's great to see all the, the, um, the measures that the Padres have taken to make this, you know, a good experience. And honestly, Jesse, <laughs> just looking at all the, um, the, the brown and the gold, I mean, it's like so cool to see the team store all decorated like that. Um, and I got to say, you know what, whenever we lose scans, I just think he's on the phone with his sources. So that's what's going on there. <laughs> but this is great, guys. This is a great, you know, a great thing. If you're like you said, if you have the itch, um, it's cool to see all the new gear in the color scheme. <laughs> all right. So last <laughs> note we've got, because I think we're still having time. Uh, Annie, I agree with you 100%. Period. It is so cool to see the brown and gold. It is. It looks really, really good. Uh, coming up about a half hour from now, Fox Sports San Diego, a clincher. My back. Uh, the first one at Petco from September of 2005 as uh, Khalil Green and the boys take down the Giants to bring home a division title uh, for the first time in the Petco era. Barry Bonds, that is not Tom Amansky defense right there in left field. Uh, but a fun one, obviously, a historic one for the Padre franchise. That is on Fox Sports San Diego tonight, coming up at 7 o'clock, so less than a half an hour for now. And that that's it. That's what we've got today. I want to send a huge thank you out to Brendan Waters of Ballast Point, Scanza for the hat and for joining us. Annie, of course, pleasure to have both of you guys. And uh, we'll do it again uh, tomorrow at 5.30. Thank you both, and thanks, everybody, for – for hanging out with this scan's got the gremlins in his computer so i'm not going to risk it by <laughs> having uh, having an issue again but but thank you guys both very much and uh tomorrow don and mud will be with us and as mentioned uh, we'll talk to big ben about his big bunt against kurt Schilling. it'll be fun to do that and uh, visit with a former padre i hope everybody stays safe has a great night I'll talk to you tomorrow at 5 30